0: Welcome to the Belonging Project Podcast. This is Fiorenza and I'm your host. The purpose of this podcast is to bring voices together to talk about belonging. Through inspiring real life conversations, we explore how belonging can show up in so many different ways, what it feels like to belong and the impact of truly belonging. Each episode will offer you inspiration and practical strategies to find your true voice in your life and as a leader. Let's dive in. Dr. Ford Dyke is a subject matter expert in human performance optimization. Dr. Dyke collaborates globally with high-level performers such as corporate executives, elite athletes, physicians, academicians first responders, and military personnel. His methodology integrates components of his professorship, Team USA athlete career, and experience as a performance coach for the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee. Dr. Dyke's education, professional experience, and personal journey led to the creation of Perfor humans a multidimensional space for the human experience. Hi. Hi, everyone. And hi, Ford. Welcome to the Belonging Project podcast. How are you today, Ford?
1: I'm doing very well, Fiorenza. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. I'm stoked for the conversation.
0: Of course. It's a pleasure to have you. And maybe we can get started with a little bit about you, your your journey, your, your story. How does that sound?
1: Sounds great to me. It's, uh, it's an interesting time. I'm actually headed back to my roots here next week. So good timing on asking me my origin.
0: Fantastic. So you tell me, where do we start?
1: (laughs) Yeah, where does it all start? For me, it starts in South Florida, where I grew up, being, you know, on the sand, in the water, just amongst the waves and the ocean breeze and the sunshine. Those spaces for me were very open and very free. And they allowed for creativity and thinking and exploration and just to kind of be a kid you know and not really have rules and regulations obviously stay within the confines of societal norms but challenge you know dogma and challenge people's perceptions of certain things to start to expand your mind and stretch your consciousness at an early age and mm-hmm. I think that led me to eventually studying what I studied.
0: And tell us more about what is it that you studied after the fulfilling childhood?
1: Yeah definitely you know nature was a huge component of it all but it also it wasn't just sunshine and rainbows, and I think oftentimes you know it's the stuff you don't know about people that usually find most interesting, and where people you know they hear where I'm from, they, oh gosh, you know it's like were people vacation like it must have been so easy, and you know everyone's got their story, and mm-hmm. for me, while growing up, there was obviously an incredible experience. You go through stuff that really challenges you physically but also. Emotionally and spiritually and cognitively. And that eventually pushed me to study psychology because of the things that I was experiencing at such a young age. My parents got divorced when I was really young. I saw my mom take care of all the kids at the level she was taking care of them at. And, you know, being the youngest of four, you kind of just sit back and almost learn through osmosis and observation. And you're so young, you can't conceptualize it, let alone articulate it. But for whatever reason, subconsciously, it drove me to study consciousness, psychology. And that's what I started with as an undergraduate student, trying to figure out what was going on between the ears, what's going on above the shoulders. And how are we interfacing with each other as humans? Because we're one of the only animals that are aware of our own awareness, Mm -hmm. cognition. But for me at 17, 18, 19 years old, I figured, all right, I'll just go to college, study psychology and just kind of take it from there. Little did I know I never would would have left school, like literally leave school all the way to graduate school and into professorship. So it's been a hell of a journey, but you know, I think there's part of me that understands I didn't really have much control of it. I think it was already kind of laid out for me.
0: I'm actually f- fascinated and huge respect to kind of choose, right, to study psychology after having had some challenges and difficult moments. Um, How did you know that you wanted to be in the field?
1: I, I don't think I did, Fiorenza. I think it must have just spoke to me or it just made me feel a certain way. You know, at 18, when you've gone through what you've gone through and then I sustained a series of head injuries because of extreme sport, your frontal lobe is forever changed. And you know, I, for me just studying what I was studying, you're kind of, you're so in the moment that you don't even understand like, what is this gonna do? What is this gonna turn into? What is this gonna be eventually? Mm -hmm. I had no idea. So I was just kind of there, I was just doing my thing. And before I know it, I'm a senior in college. And you know, the question is like, well, what's the next step? Like you can't do much with an undergraduate in psychology. So, I ultimately decided to take a gap year and return to my roots and just surf for a few months, you know, and just get back to the water and try to understand, you know, like what is it that really drives my purpose and why am I here? And, you know, what do I really want to do moving forward? And I ultimately decided to switch fields because I felt like at the time I understood what was going on in the mind, but I didn't know much about the body. Mm. So, I went and studied exercise science in the School of Kinesiology at Auburn University. And that really stretched things for me because now I've taken the mind and I've now learned about the body, but then it's like, okay, well, what's the missing link? These two things don't happen in isolation. We're humans, our brain sits on top of our body. So that's why I was crazy enough to start a PhD program. And I studied psychophysiology, so the mind-body connection. And that was just a whole nother level to it, of course. And fast forward to 2017, I'm walking across the stage and I'm being hooded as Dr. Ford Dyke. And then about 10 days later, I'm walking into a classroom as the professor of that classroom that, you know, months ago I was a student in. So it's just kind of trippy. And for the first six months of professorship, I didn't even know what was up, down, left, right, forward, backward. Like I I just, it it was just like a, a blur. Yeah, like how fast things happened. Yeah. And it really wasn't until 2020, March, you know, when the whole world stopped, that I looked in the mirror and said, Where did the last 10 years go? And do I want this to happen in the next 10 years? My answer was no. And so I challenged myself to just step back and really dive in and start unpacking and start putting some stuff down that I was carrying.
0: And you have your own podcasts. You have, I think, two podcasts, um, several projects that you're working on that, that you are very passionate about. I'd love to, maybe to, yeah, for the audience to know a bit more about that as well.
1: Well, it was part of that reflection of, you know, what's the last 10 years? Like, what, what happened? And so I challenged myself, what can I make? What can I create? as a vehicle to push this information outside of academic classrooms. So I realized, well, maybe I can use other vehicles, other modalities like podcasts, like multimedia channels, YouTube, LinkedIn, et cetera, to push information out to the world that may not have access to it unless they were in an academic setting, paying tuition, having access to certain professors. So everything I do is free. I don't get paid. I'm an independent podcaster. I'm not a multi million dollar YouTuber. You know, I'm out there using these vehicles as platforms to provide information and knowledge and to disseminate it for people that, in my opinion, need access to it. Because there's a lot of information out there that isn't very good. Mm -hmm. And I studied at a super high level and I hold myself to a high standard. And I figured, why not build something that? People are going to find credible and have some validity behind it,
0: and I very much resonate with what you shared there—the importance of having independent platforms like yours, and also the Belonging Project podcast, which you know is also uh, an independent platform. And very much the idea was to create with the Belonging Project podcast to create a platform where people could share their own experiences with belonging, but also providing some informational content from experts on topics related to, to, to belonging. Um, I'm going to share probably a little bit of a um, sneak peek into the future here, but there is an episode coming on psychological safety from an expert on the field. And just because it's so linked with belonging that I kind of felt that, that, drive, if not urge, to, to have one. Um one deep dive like that.
1: Well first of all, I wholeheartedly respect what you're doing with your platform and know it's not easy and know it takes a lot of work, a lot of time, a lot of resources. So hat tip to you because Thank you so much. It's impactful, you know, and you're able to influence a lot of people, which is exciting.
0: So maybe shifting gear a little bit onto belonging, I'm curious to to know what comes to mind, maybe it's a it's an experience, maybe it's something else, maybe it's ideas. Uh, what comes to mind when you when you hear belonging?
1: Belonging to me, Fiorenza is is human, and I mentioned earlier that we're animals because we are, and I think we lose sight of that. I was telling you at the pre call that we were in Yellowstone recently, and you're in a national park and you're amongst some pretty amazing creatures. And the question that comes to my mind as I'm there is who's looking at who, who's visiting who right now we're in their space and I'm looking into their eyes and intentionally trying to see if they're looking back and maybe thinking about what are they thinking about? And, you know, as humans, we say, well, we have the most developed cortex and we're the smartest and we're the most powerful and we're the, And all this stuff, and it kind of comes from an egotistical view on the world. Like, we're the top of the food chain. Okay, are we really, though? Because we're in this park, and they're telling us, hey, grizzly bears are on patrol. You got to carry bear spray. If they attack you, spray them in the face. I'm thinking, if you're getting attacked by a grizzly bear, you did something wrong. Like, you didn't take the warning signs that they probably gave you to get out of their house, right? They don't have locks on their doors. They don't have fences. They don't have security cameras and lights and all this stuff that we have. But at the end of the day, we're all animals. We're just domesticated more so than other creatures. And with that domestication, I think we lose sight of our impact on the world. We separate ourselves from nature. We build walls, we put up roofs, we have shelter, which are all great things but we're really disconnected from the planet. And with that, I think we lose a sense of belonging because we find ourselves in isolation. And if anything has taught us anything, it's the last two and a half years when the world stopped and healthy people were asked to be in isolation, which doesn't make sense to me. But we learned a lot about that. Ideally, we learned that we need connection. We need to be in community. We need to learn from each other and share with each other. And yet a lot of us were in fear, fear of the unknown. And so we didn't leave our house. We didn't leave our shelter. We were afraid to interact. We were afraid to touch, to be in presence of others. Animals don't do that. Animals understand community, understand connection. I think animals understand their purpose. But for whatever reason, this frontal lobe that we have, that's so advanced and makes us who we are, I think it sometimes gets in the way and can become a double-edged sword. Mm
0: -hmm. Do you remember the first time maybe when you were in a coop or you were in a type of setting where you were like, this is really speaking to me. This feels like I can belong here.
1: That's such a good question. It had to be the first time I saw the band Soja. And I've sent you some of their tracks before. You did. It's S-O-J-A. They just won a Grammy and uh, scheduled to see them next week down in South Florida, which I'm pretty pumped for. It was about 15 years ago. The first time I saw them, and, You know, they were they were not the band they are now. And they were just getting started. And there were about six of them on stage. There's now eight of them. And as I stood there and they came onto the stage and they just started playing and it sounded like the CDs that I had been listening to, probably dating myself saying CD, (laughs) the MP3 track that I was playing. I really understood in that moment that music is bigger than a lot of things on the planet because music connects people. Mm -hmm. Music is that universal language. You can play a track from a different spoken language, but you'll still move to it. So music is universal, but movement is also universal. And music makes humans move. And with that, I felt like I belonged because I was listening, I was moving, I was connecting, I was understanding. And I realized that it's bigger than me. And that's a super powerful feeling that you can capture just at a small concert.
0: This is so powerful. I never thought about music in a way that it transcends language in a way, right? So you can be next to next to another individual and they're talking totally different language than where you are and maybe the song is in a language that you both don't understand, but you can still be moved. And I think we've all I think this very low risk in saying that we all been we've all been moved by a song already in our life hopefully <laughs> that's my hope um, and yes i i i i can i can feel that right there is that sense of belonging that we are we're feeling and going to a place where there are actually other people resonating with that tune in the same way as you are Really creates that pace. Um, and it's fine. You don't need to know the other people there. Um, and you're still connecting and you're still feeling that it's your tribe, it's your people. Um, and all that, thanks to music, thanks to maybe a song. Yeah.
1: I think what's cool about it too is even if you were to take lyrics out of the equation and it was just music, mm-hmm. instrumentation, mm-hmm. people are still going to move. and even if you take hearing out of it, so you take a deaf person and you play music for them, their sensory receptors pick up on the vibration of those frequencies different than a hearing individual, but they still understand that it's music. And it wasn't until I got to grad school and I started studying the body, started studying human physiology, where I realized that the heartbeat has a certain frequency to it, and so does the brain, or electromagnetic and when those signals are emitted, and music comes out of a speaker, and they align, you've got some pretty cool harmony there.
0: Mm, that is so. That's so amazing. Yeah. Thank you for bringing this perspective. Um,
1: you pulled it out of me. You had asked. You asked a good question. So thank you.
0: And maybe if we explore the the other side, times when you felt that you didn't you didn't belong and you may feel comfortable or not in sharing the example itself. But I'm more interested into the factors that for you were like a no-go that, you know, because that element was present, it was just so against, you know, just the, the possibility of you feeling that you belong.
1: Yeah, I feel it a lot recently. I think in the last, you know, two and a half years after I've taken a lot of time to, put down what I'm carrying and go inward and start unpacking some stuff that I probably pushed under a rug for a long time. Cause as a kid, you don't know how to handle it. You know, you don't have the aptitude. You don't have the bandwidth to try to process the things that occurred to you. So it isn't until you get into this phase of adulthood, quote unquote, whatever that means. And your frontal lobe starts to shift again and you realize there's some shit that I experienced that has shaped my brain physically and also electrically. Like the functionality of it has forever shifted. And with that, I use mindfulness and I use meditation as a way to stay centered, as a way to heal. And for me, healing is not a goal-oriented approach, it's process-oriented, it's a journey. You either step foot on that path and you work towards it for the rest of your existence or you deny it and you run from it and you say, I don't need it and you push it away. Is there one better or one worse? Everyone's on their own journey. But for me, I decided I want to make sure that I'm living a prosperous life. I have equanimity, vitality, I'm productive, I'm healthy, I've got well-being and That takes time and that takes intention. And so, with all this work that I've done and I'm currently doing, when I place myself in settings that don't align with that, that's when I feel like I don't belong. Mm. So, for example, if I'm in a setting with a lot of people that are disconnected and losing sight of the purpose, and in my viewpoint, wasting time i don't i don't feel like i belong Mm -hmm. i feel constricted i feel tight i feel like i gotta go i I don't there's no calmness Mm -hmm. and i i just can't resonate with that and
0: i i often think about situations like that where we feel like that and i don't i don't think i have an answer yet but and it may be situational, but I'm interested in, in, in hearing if you have any thoughts. Could there be things that people in those set in those type of setting or even the setting itself could do or could say to make it up, right? To change a little bit the course, right? To change it for the better and bring us trust, bring trust back for us, um, that belonging could exist. But I have
1: so on that. Well, I'll lean on the anatomy and the physiology of the human body and mind, because I think that's really where mm. things start for us as mm. humans, as creatures. First and foremost, our skull is our, act, is our atlas. That's what's referenced as an anatomy and physiology course is the atlas. And the first bone that the skull sits on, on the cervical column, is your axis. So your atlas sits on top of your axis. And it rotates, and if something happens in your environment, you usually turn to attend to that, and that's where the rotation occurs. And worse, you know, we're animalistic. We're trying to survive. We're very close to our ancestors. You know, modern technology is super new. Our brains haven't really caught up to that. We understand the value of shelter, water, food, safety. Like that's about all our brains can process. We are in control with our limbic system. We're basically slaves to the limbic system. If we're hungry, we react. If we're thirsty, we react. If we're going to mate, we react. And it just repeats. Eat, sleep, procreate, repeat. That's, we're animals. And the frontal lobe is so new that I think humans haven't had enough time to really understand it but also utilize it to the full capacity that's utilized for. And I think that, you know, the atlas that sits on top, that's your world. Just like my atlas is my world. Everything else outside of it is what you make of it. Mm. It's the notion of perception as reality. So you could be having a bad day. I could be having a great day. We're sitting in the same room. But how is that even possible? So it's not the environment it's probably inside. It's the Atlas. Mm -hmm. Something disrupted your balance, your equilibrium Mm -hmm. that's imposing a bad day on you. Mm -hmm. Something aligned my balance and my equilibrium that's imposing a good day on me. Mm -hmm. But the cool thing about it is I can detect that you're having a good or bad day without even you saying anything. Mm -hmm. I can just capture your vibe Mm -hmm. just like you can capture mine. We know if we walk into a room, if someone's upset right away, we don't have to ask a question. Yeah. how do we know that that's not the frontal lobe those are lower order systems that we've had for so long i mean we've had these things for millions of years because they've evolved from other creatures
0: i feel like some people are fighting against that no i don't have it i don't know
1: <laughs> yeah i think a lot of people are uh disconnected from their atlas let alone the world mm. but that's where we are you know and will it change probably I'd rather be optimistic and wrong than pessimistic and right.
0: Totally, totally. What would be your, your advice? How could we reconnect with, your, with our atlas?
1: First, you have to stop. Just stop. Mm-hmm. I mean, Fiorenza, March 2020, the world stopped. The world stopped. The planet didn't stop. The world stopped. The world is a fabrication. Humans created the world that we live in with all the systems and policies. We didn't create the planet. Nature flourished in those first, I'd say, six to 12 months. But the minute that the humans had the opportunity to push their foot back on the gas pedal, what happened? They did, they jumped back on the hamster wheel. We all heard this notion of return to normalcy. I still don't even know what that means. It's kind of mind-blowing when I hear people say, let's return to normalcy. I'm thinking, what the hell is normalcy? So here we are. We're back where we started. We didn't learn much from that period of stop. So that's why I try to tell people is like, you got to stop. You just have to stop. And after you stop, check in with yourself. See how you're feeling physically. Where's your mind? What are you thinking about? Are you even aware of what you're thinking about? Most people are not. And we call ourselves the most advanced. Maybe. Maybe not.
0: It sounds practical. It sounds easy. Well, it it is practical. It sounds easy. And it's so hard.
1: Well, it's simple, but it's not easy. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: That's the challenge that I impose on people. It's super simple. Just stop. Mm Mm-hmm. But that's not easy. The simplest things in life are often the most difficult. Yeah, we have we challenge. You know, we have such struggle with that.
0: That's true. That's very true. There's one question that I like to ask the guests on the on the podcast. So I'm going to ask you, what's the best advice that you've received and that you'd like to share with others?
1: Ooh, um, I've had some pretty incredible mentors in my life and people that have influenced my trajectory but I gotta lean on my mom for this one because she's probably the most impactful one and she's the one that afforded me the opportunities with education like she literally told me in high school don't ever leave school like she would just say that don't ever leave school and at the time I didn't really know what the heck she was talking about but I think I took her a little too literally because I'm a professor now (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, um, you know, the advice she would give me in grad school especially, she would say, fill your sails and feel your feet on the ground every step because this is going to go fast. And at first I was thinking, she's talking about grad school when she says this is going to go fast. But lately, Fiorenza, I realize what she's talking about. She's talking about the human experience. It's going to go fast. And just this past year, she turned 66 and I turned 33. And we had that moment of, wow, mom, I'm half your age. Son, I'm double your age. And it puts things into perspective for you. And it's challenged me to come up with methodology to share with people when I travel and I speak to explain to them or at least get them to start to think about their own human experience. Because what is the human experience? What does it mean to be human? Why are we here? The animals have been here for a long time. We haven't been here for very long. And we probably won't be here for that much longer at the rate we're going. But the animals will, the planet will recycle. We call ourselves the smartest, we call ourselves the most advanced. Are we though? Or are we missing something? So I challenge people to look at their own experience as a part of the bigger picture. Micro, meso, macro. What I do in my everyday life affects you across the pond in the UK. What you do across the pond affects someone else on another part of the world. And what we all do affects the world as a whole. And to me, that's belonging. That's connection. That's the human experience.
0: Thank you. Thank you for it. This is this is gold. I love it. And I actually love that you took your your mom's advice literally because <laughs> then, you know, otherwise you wouldn't have we, we wouldn't be here today. So yeah. yeah. Exactly.
1: <laughs> literally would not be sitting here if I wasn't taking, ah. you know, taking that seriously.
0: Thank you for it. You're such an amazing guest. Thank you for being on the podcast with me.
1: I appreciate that. It's a, it's a huge honor. I, I like connecting with people that are pushing, pushing the norm, you know, and what it means to be human. So thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it.
0: You can follow the podcast on LinkedIn at The Belonging Project Podcast. You can also hit subscribe and stay up to date with our episodes. And do feel free to get in touch with me on coaching at fiorenserosini.com. Thank you again and see you next time.